0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to PM School, an educational platform for women entrepreneurs aspiring to start, scale, and exit epic businesses. I'm your host, Steph Caldwell, businesswoman by day, personal development author, founder, and investor by PM. Come with me each episode as we go behind the scenes with epic entrepreneurs and with the epic experts who support them along their way so grab your glass of wine grab your biz bestie because it is about to get real are you ready pull up your seat because class is in session Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of PM School. I'm so excited to have you here. Today, we are sitting down with Don Mayer, the co-founder of Starla. Starla is the first and only premium alcohol-removed wine created for wine lovers, wishing to nix the spirits but savor the experience. Their trio of varietals, Red Blend, Sauvignon Blanc, and sparkling and Sparkling Rosé, are delicious for sipping socializing and pairing the only thing more delightful than the beverage is the brand don and jamie wanted to take an untraditional approach to branding starla one that was undeniably feminine highly stylized and lifestyle focused so with a push towards the beauty and fashion world they worked an amazingly talented design team to give starla her fashion for image from bottle to brand I had so much fun sitting down with Dawn on this episode of PM School to cover all things launching your own alcohol alternative brand. So grab your glass of Starla, grab your biz bestie, and tune in. It's time to get this episode started. Dawn, I am so excited to have you on PM School podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm more excited than you are. Oh, I don't know. Cause I've got like major girl crush vibes on you. So, <laughs> oh, what? Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, I don't do. <laughs> well, our favorite place to start on the show is with this question. I can't wait to hear your answer. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Oh my gosh. As a kid, I went through a phase where I really wanted to be an attorney. Oh. And in pursuit of that, I joined the debate club. I thought the debate club was a great way to kind of get my attorney chops figured out, and (laughs) it was kind of odd, but um, yeah, in um, high school, I did that for years. I was a member of the debate club for years, and then obviously I I grew out of that and decided not to be an attorney, but I was just fascinated by what it meant to be an attorney, and I wanted to be in court and arguing big cases, and it just looked so glamorous and exciting, you know, but that's not really the case. It's a lot of paperwork. Oh, my
0: gosh. So... (laughs) Which Hello, fellow oh, train nerd over here. Okay. <laughs> well, I did model United Nations when I was in high school. <laughs> like, I'm gonna go and like become a political, you know, blah blah blah, whatever. Ended up with, uh, I through that, like, ended up meeting with the, I don't know, the Lions Group or Lions something in in my local community. Ended up with a job in a law office. Got there and was like, this is not for me. What have I signed up for? (laughs) So I'm glad that we both collectively realized,
1: like, oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Once you got it, once I got a taste of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, no, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But but mad, mad respect and props for the people that do it, actually, more so than before I went on the journey. So
0: amazing. I completely agree with that. Okay. So you wanted to be a lawyer. Did you ever have any entrepreneurial ventures as a kiddo?
1: You know, I was thinking about that. And the answer is, Yes. Like now that I look back at it, it's crazy. Like I didn't realize it. So I'll give you an example. So first of all, anytime you had the unfortunate chance to walk by my driveway, I was going to have some sort of little table out there and sell you something like I would go and I'm like, okay, it's garage sale Saturday. And I'd go through all my brothers and sisters stuff and my stuff. And I would set up a table. It was so Whatever, but that's what I did. And I loved it. I'm like, okay, we can do this. And my favorite game to play as a kid was cash register. So, all my, and that's silly. And also, my grandkids, like I always get them this little toy cash register, and I'm so excited to play with them because it's so much fun. But then that actually became a job. So, when I was in, I always worked retail, I always worked retail all through high school and college. And then one summer, I came home from college, my regular uh, shoe selling job was was a left for everybody. You learned so much about looking at people's feet and putting shoes on them. But my job wasn't available. And so I decided, my mom's like, well I want to have a garage sale. So I put on a garage sale for her. And then all of her friends. So I literally for two years, I guess it kind of like I was like the original eBay. Because what I would do is, I would go into people's homes, I would get all their junk, I would clean it up, price it, arrange it, run the ads, negotiate with everybody as they're coming in. And I did that for two summers and made great money because I would just take a cut of it, you know? And so, yeah, I guess I did have some entrepreneurial (laughs) tendencies early on.
0: I guess you did. It's so (laughs) funny. I felt like after having as many conversations as I've had on this podcast and I've had, you know, I think 75 or so episodes. It's been a lot. Oh my gosh. Everybody that I've spoken with has these like inklings of entrepreneurship coming that, you know, it's, what do they say? Like hindsight's twenty-twenty, but like, you can't like see the fact that like, you're going to be an entrepreneur and, and realize that, that those are the breadcrumbs all along.
1: Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. and And honestly, you know, obviously just thinking about the time we were going to have together and that some of these questions might come up. I didn't even know I realized it. So it's been a great journey of self-discovery, Steph, in, in prepping for our call
0: today. <laughs> well, I'm honestly so honored <laughs> that I could give you this moment of reflection. Thank you. So, so, so there's Dylan that wanted to be the lawyer. I imagine that that probably like, led to some ideas that you had for your education. Tell me a little bit about formal education. What did you study in school? Why did you choose to study it? Did you go to college? Let's, yeah. let's dig into that.
1: I did go to school. I'm a proud alumni of the University of Georgia, Go Dogs. Nice. And I have a degree in psychology. And I just went through this. And I'm, and still today, I'm always fascinated, fascinated as to why people do what they do and studying behavior. And I still do it today. And just so, so. Yeah. So even when I was having my garage sales, I would do like little experiments with people coming by. I'm like, what if I arrange it this way? What if I arrange it this way? What if we talk about this? What if we talk about that? Just to see the impact it would have on people's decision making. Can you believe that? So then in college, yeah, I got a degree in psychology and loved it, loved it, loved it. It was the funnest degree. It didn't feel like work, never felt like studying. But then I didn't really do anything with it psychologically speaking. You know, I didn't go back and become a you know, a counselor or anything like that, or a psychologist or psychologist. I was ready to get out of school. But yeah, that's what I have a degree in.
0: That's so interesting. I um, never really thought about what it would have been like for me in school to be in a major that didn't feel like work. Like for me, school always actually did feel like work. And this is the first uh-huh. time I've had somebody say that, which is such a interesting reflection for, for myself. So- You graduate with a psychology degree, but you never go into psychology. Tell us about your early career. Marketing. I mean, marketing is like... technology meets business. Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: you know, I started out, I started out, you know, I've worked really all my life, literally all my life since I was old enough to work. And even before then, just kind of always made my own money. But I got jobs in telemarketing out of it while I was in college. And that was super, super interesting because, you know, your job is to keep people on the phone with you and get them to say yes to raising money or you know, buying a set of books or subscribing to Time Life Library's music or something like that. And that was super fascinating because you meet all kinds of crazy people doing that. But eventually, I found my way into more of a traditional marketing environment and really found my way into advertising agencies. So that's really where I grew up, kind of an advertising brat kid, I guess. Been in that for the majority of my life and no regrets there, no shame in that game and really enjoyed it. And you can be very entrepreneurial within agencies too. So the ideas you have, the time you spend with clients working on their business together and their goals, you have a chance to really flex in that. So that's a lot of fun.
0: Were there any businesses like in in your early career as you started getting into your career and like establishing yourself as a marketing professional that just really resonated with you either from like a branding perspective or from a you know industry or sector perspective is there anything that you know kind of stuck out to you gosh you know
1: i've always been and not very consumer centric like what is the right thing to do for the customer and What always sticks out to me is when you run into businesses where they don't do the right thing for the customer, you know, it's like, how hard would it be to give the customer what they want? Not very, not very. Just think about it for a minute. But, you know, trying to think of, you know, I I worked, I've worked with some of the world's largest organizations, companies, clients, and the ones that are always the most successful always are the ones that put the consumer first. What is it the consumer wants? What is, what is their path to happiness in and, and this relationship? And it could be something from, you know, buying a can of hairspray or Coca-Cola to buying a car, purchasing a car. But the ones that were always the most successful always did it with a consumer in mind first, not, you know, well, we've got to make this much money and this is what, you know, we need them to buy or do. It was always what does the consumer need? And those businesses today are still thriving. As a result of it,
0: yeah. There's something that you said in there that really resonates with me. There's a amazing alcoholic and non-alcoholic rosé company where I'm an investor, and when I asked the founder to tell me like the inception story for the brand, she was like, "I just got obsessed with this idea of creating something that the my dream girl would be so proud to have in her household and share with her friends." Uh-huh. And like, yeah, I was like, "That's really beautiful," you know. And I think to me is honestly like one of the reasons why when i saw starla for the first time i was like oh my god Like this is amazing like this is the thing that i could you know see myself gifting to anybody that was was not interested in kind of consuming alcoholic wine so i would love to hear a little bit about what the inflection point was for you know this amazing career that you'd built and and then the idea to to start starla
1: well you know for like most inflection points in people's life it's usually around a life event right so i'm closer to 60 than i am 30 i have two amazing grandchildren a beautiful family and you know as i was getting older i'm like i've got to be around to take care of my family and you know enjoy this time and all those things i really was questioning my relationship with alcohol and i was like you know does gigi that's my that's my grandma name Does Gigi really need to have a hangover if she's, you know, hanging out with toddler children? The answer is no. The answer to that question is, oh, hell no. Right. So, no, no, no. It's But anyway, so I just was really questioning my choices in that I cut back drinking significantly, but. Gosh, did I miss wine? Like I love wine. Like love wine, which is part of the problem, you know. I would have a glass. I could easily have a glass of wine in my hand, twenty four seven. I just love sipping it, pouring it, looking at it, smelling it, pairing it. I love wine, and I tried everything on the market, and I got kind of pissed. Honestly, I was like, oh my gosh, don't people know? Back to the customer. Don't people know? Don't the winemakers know that people want really good options? And, you know, there's a lot more options out there today and a lot of really great things happening in in wine producers. But, you know, there just isn't much if you don't want any alcohol in your wine. And I tried them all and I kind of kind of got angry. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of need this product. And somebody, you know, so that kind of became a little bit of a rally cry. Creating something for myself was part of that. You know, the challenge of seeing, can I make wine? You know, let's, let's let's give that a try and see what happens. But definitely the inflection point of where am I in my life? What do I want to do with it? And Gigi needs to get her act together.
0: I love it. I think it's like this key insight, right, that you have that leads to <laughs> like, well, how come this hasn't happened? And like, what would it take to do this thing? And I understand, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you also have a, a co founder, a business partner, Jay, Jamie, I believe. Yeah. And that's- so Tell me, what's the maybe, maybe it's your idea, maybe it's her idea, maybe you guys come together and you're like, this thing has to be born. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So we were, this was right at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's early 2020. I had been going through my own journey of sobriety, not wanting to drink, trying everything out there, couldn't find ever anything. And I started just on the idea of creating something. And I kid you not, Jamie was the very first person I called. I'm like, I've got this crazy idea. I'm going to bring some wine over to you. It's not my wine. It's wine that's on the market today. And you tell me we can't do better than that. And that's what we did. And I brought it over to her. I'm like, you tell me we, you can't do better than that. And I said, I actually have ideas to do that. And Jamie is so brilliant and so creative and such a visionary with brand and design and fashion. I was like, I know what I want. I knew I wanted it to be super feminine, super different from anything. You know, definitely more Gucci than Gallo. A lot of people heard that before. And Jamie was the was the person to get it done because she is just a total design badass like i mean honestly she's she's genius so it was it was my idea and somehow i was lucky enough to coerce her into joining the crazy
0: i love that and also for the sure. listener like you guys have to go and check out the starla website and you have to go and check out starla instagram it's next level good and so don you i clearly had a vision had the perfect partner in trying to help execute that. So I imagine it goes something like this. The two of you are sitting down trying all the terrible alcohol removed wines or non-alcoholic wines. <laughs> like this is trash. This is trash. This is all the trash. And then you're like, okay. We're going to do this thing. We're committed to doing this thing. What like what does step 1 look like? Do you call a vineyard? Do you call uh, like how do you <laughs> go about creating an alcohol removed wine? Well, you know, there's
1: no there's no process or steps. You just kind of bounce around from one thing to the next. But the very first thing I did, and I'm a lifelong cook. It's a passion I have. The very first thing I did was buy non, all the non-alcoholic wines, taste them. But I started to use the them to make my wines. So that was kind of the first thing. You know, am I being naive in the fact that I think herbs and botanicals are a really great solve for this and adding in umptiousness and deliciousness to to wine and so that really started of course jamie the designer looked at the wine labels that we of the wines we bought she's like i mean honestly don if we just change the label it would be a thousand percent better than it is already I said, I got you, you know, but we both agreed that we had to change what was in the bottle too, you know, but she saw it immediately, just saw it immediately. So I started making wine in my kitchen. Well, not yet, yeah, using the wine that you could as a base. I made formula. I called formula makers, you know, commercial formula people and got them involved to create something. And then from there, that's when I really started to reach out to and get introduced to winemakers and vineyards and growers and all of that. I just wanted to see if it was possible first.
0: Yeah. I, I have this like vision of you, like a mad scientist with herbs in your kitchen, just like trying I have. all these different concoctions. The- I do. I do. I have,
1: of course, all the pictures of it. And I'd send them to Jamie, like, look what we got going on here. You know, it's 50,000 things on my counter and have an at it. So when yeah. you
0: went to go and speak with the formulators or went to go and like ultimately start to speak with the, I guess, traditional winemakers about your idea. What was the uptake from them? Did they think that your vision was possible? What was that process like for you? Mostly
1: skepticism from the winemakers' skepticism because they had seen they'd seen this movie before. You know, you've got an entrepreneur that's crazy excited with all this energy. We're gonna change the wine world, and they're like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, here comes here. here we've met this person before, so there was a little. There was definitely that, and you know, there was a lot of advice and a lot of here's what you should do. And a lot of it was, most of it, most of it was helpful. Some of it was super discouraging and not what I wanted to do. So a lot of people said, look, it's really hard to make a wine that's gonna be something you don't want to spit out right away that doesn't have alcohol in it. Cause when you remove the alcohol, you really, it's a load-bearing wall. Like you, you knock out the whole thing <laughs> when you take out the alcohol and you have to rebuild it. You know, so everyone's like, oh, put it in a can, make it a spritzer, make it a sangria, make it this. And when I started this journey, I said, no, 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 it has to be for me to check the box, it has to be delicious on its own in a glass. So all this, the ideas of cans and sangrias and mixers and spritzers and all that, I didn't follow up on any of those things, although they were very adamant about wanting, about needing me to do that. And I was like, well, whatever, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Let's just keep going. But I, I knew in my heart, in my bones, that people needed this product. I knew it. I knew women needed this product, especially. So I just kept going.
0: I am like envisioning this like beacon, right? Of like what the brand represents and your just like magnetic designer to be like, I will not compromise. This needs to exist. Yes. Now I'm thinking through the timeline that you presented here. Beginning of the pandemic, it's currently 2022. And like do you have a full fledged brand in market that I can go to your website and order right now. And I'm absolutely stunned by the timeline on this. So from initial idea where you're in Jamie's kitchen, you guys are drinking a bunch of wine that you don't like, to now you've got active conversations going to you know maybe selecting the right partners for you. How long, how long was that process? And how did you know when you'd found the right partner that could help you bring this vision to life from a product perspective?
1: You know, I wow. Um I found yeah, so we we started talking about it at the beginning of 2020. Ultimately, we ended up launching having our website live and ha- selling product from it really the beginning of August of 21. So, a year and a half. And it was during that time that we identified, you know, the growers Created the formulas, you know, vitalized the formulas, all the ingredients, packaging, all of that. And it was a lot of trial and error. In fact, in May of 21, now remember, May of 21, we launch in. August, I was working with a formulator and we were looking at all the numbers that were coming back from the lab of what the nutrition labels were. And all along, I'm like, hey guys, we're not adding sugar. We're not adding concentrates. We're not adding crap. I'm not going to trade alcohol for sugar or calories, like not happening, right? And the panel came back and it was totally whacked. I was like, it has this much, it had too much sugar, too many calories. And we had to start we had to scrap our formula and I had been already talking to another formulator and I flew to California to meet with them and we sat in a room and reformulated until it was done.
0: Wait, so four months before your commercial launch, you (laughs) scrap your formula and start over with with, with it.
1: We had picked out bottles and corks and labels. We were building the website. You know, All this is happening. And I was like, I can't launch a product. I have a really good friend, a business colleague, Tracy, that I've worked with for years who's diabetic. And I remember when I was thinking about the the sugar content, right? If you're trying to really monitor your sugar, you can't have any more than 20. You shouldn't have more than 24 grams of sugar in a Day, right? Well, a glass of wine. A regular glass of wine has about half that, you know. So it's real easy to to. We should have never told me that. Now I'm screwed. Yeah. Well, you've got to be careful. And that's what. But I was like, I can't. I can't put this out there if I. And I was like, for some reason, I was like obsessed with my friend. I'm like, no. If she can't drink it, then I can't put it out there. But I also knew, I knew what I wanted, and I just had to know other women didn't want to trade alcohol for calories. Like you're already giving something up. You don't want to drink it if it's not good for
0: you. Yeah, that was definitely something that blew me away, to be honest, when I got your wine. Out, or, yeah, I'll, I'll call it wine. Oh, my God. Like, look at this, the sparkling rosé, my favorite. I'm like, this has five calories in it. And then I started going down a nutrition label. I was like, zero fat, ju- zero sugar, zero. F-. I was like, what, what is this made of? Water? <laughs> like, And it's truly, truly, you know, blown away because one, I think most stuff, most things, have like a lot of like chemical ingredients and and a lot of sugar in them, and so frankly, I was just, I was just really blown away.
1: Yeah, and it was, and you know, when you're working with winemakers, and you're like, like I'm like I'm tasting them. I'm like, you know what this really needs? This needs, this needs French lavender, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy, but. You know, I'm not used to making wine. I just knew what the flavor profile was that I wanted to do. So I was adding a lot of things that they weren't necessarily used to working with or hadn't explored as much. And so bringing those things together, as it turned out, was actually a really great way to take that, to bring that wine back to life after we'd totally destroyed it by taking the alcohol out of it.
0: Yeah. You said it's like removing a load bearing wall that oh, yeah. really resonated.
1: <laughs> Total. Yeah.
0: So there's the there's the formula, right? And and locking this down, which what an incredible journey that was. And then it sounds like on the other side of the equation, there's like finding the person that's gonna provide the bottles and the labels and the packaging. Yeah. And again, yeah. the whole thing that like really stood out to me was the Starla box that the wine comes in and like how the three, the trio was like organized. It was just like Honestly, like a really luxurious opening experience, for lack of a better way to describe okay. it. So I could talk like for days on this box.
1: So we spent, thank oh, you for So First of all, a couple things you should know about the box. Remember, we spent six months developing it. One of the hardest things to ship is glass with liquid in it because it breaks. So we had to create something that was going to allow us to do that without having this overly done packaging. We didn't want to put a lot of extra waste out into the world, right? But it had to protect the boxes. So we literally sat there and just kept designing and redesigning and redesigning to get it. So the shape of the box is actually a keystone shape. And that shape actually if you drop it it keeps it's 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 more friendly on dropping it when you do a drop test from like seven feet ten feet in the air to see if it'll break because you have to test it that way if you're going to send anything through or UPS or ups shape of it actually helps it roll a little bit and keeps it and makes it more stable can you believe it like we and that was total luck what we were designing was above the starla head on the bottle on the label there's these fragments of color and the fragment of color on the top is a keystone so it actually matches and then the fragment of color is the main floral note in the bottle and blah 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 i mean like we got totally i don't even know what we were thinking (laughs) but it was so much fun and everybody says that like they love the packaging and no one's designed it since no one has that
0: shape yet
1: you know someone else will but it's actually very practical
0: it's so clear to me, like how much practicality went into this, and also like how much love and thought, because it is really evident, like when you get the box and then when you see the label on the wine that like there's synergy between the two shapes, it's just like a very cohesive experience,
1: yeah, well, that's a thousand percent Jamie, so that's a whole nother a whole nother show <laughs> <laughs> You're I, you know, genius,
0: yeah, and, and just like the. Like, thinking about this on my end and kind of like adding up the dollars from, you know, testing in your own kitchen to formulating to generating the box and branding and the website and all the things. I have to imagine that this is a slightly capital intensive endeavor. Tell me a little bit about, just slightly, tell me a little bit about your your journey from a capital perspective and and how you guys have funded this business and and you know how much it's taken so far if you if you are open to that sharing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. So we've been 100% self-funded. We haven't gotten any outside funds. And I think, I, you know, when we were speaking earlier, I mentioned I was kind of an agency brat. Part of that was being fortunate to be a part of some startups and participate in those exits. And so I had some capital that I was able to, that was already, you know, that I'd already generated from other exits that I was able to roll into this company and use it for development. But, you know, I mean, we're over a million dollars in to create this product. And and most people, especially in the category, they don't blink at that. Like, yep, that sounds about right. You know, just, it's a very expensive industry to get in. It's very expensive when you're working with the high-end ingredients we are, the glass that we are, the products that we are, it's just expensive and, you know, being new to it, we made a lot of mistakes. I can, I paid for wine that we poured down the sink, like not just a bottle, like vats of it (laughs) It got messed up. (laughs) So, you know, that's the exception and not the rule. But, you know, most of our efforts went to working, you know, most of our dollars were working dollars that produced something positive that we've got out in the marketplace. But It's so expensive. And the thing I will say is the wine industry. So think about it. For a million dollars, tell me the world's oldest supply chain. The wine industry. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, (laughs) Uh literally the world's oldest supply chain. So you try and do something different in it and it's like crazy town. It's like, you know, if you want to bring ingredients that aren't normally used or processes that aren't normally used, working through that and creating workarounds for equipment that doesn't exist. You know, how what happens to tannins when you mix it with ingredients that you've never really mixed tannins with before? So there was a lot of trial and error along the way that can get expensive.
0: Wow, there, there's a quote that I'm going to totally mess up that my dad says all the time. He's like, "If you want to like, get, like, succeed in the wine industry, like, be rich, like, that's like the essence of it." And I'm like, "Oh, well, that's an industry that uh, sounds like it's got some pretty high barriers to entry." I think I'm going to go choose a different one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah. A lot of people have <laughs> mentioned that to me. I know, but. I feel, I think we've been responsible with the resources that we have. We've done the absolute best that we can with them. And I know that the return is going to to pay out. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm thrilled with where we're at from a product and a branding perspective. So regrets there.
0: Yeah. I also think you have like incredible tailwinds as somebody who literally meets with VCs in the space all the time. Like low elk, no elk sober curious like this is such a growing and exciting category for investors, which means consumers, which means, you know, this is a really exciting space to be playing in. I feel like I want to take us to a specific moment. Tell me about the first time you tasted the like the final formula for that May launch. Like all this culmination of so much hard work and adventuring and screw ups, but then you you get to to what you're gonna put out in the market. What was that moment like for you and, and Jamie? The 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 product that we, intended, we launched the, what we launched with. Oh, I,
1: it, I it still doesn't seem real stuff. It's still, I I don't know. I haven't I haven't really processed it yet. I mean, I had tears of joy, and I was like, I can't believe this. I just I can't believe it. Like we're gonna do it, and I still kind of wake up every day like, are we doing this? Like, is this happening? <laughs> It hasn't, it honestly, I don't know that it's hit me because I'm still so, and you know, this talking to entrepreneurs, you're so in the next hill to climb and challenge to solve for. There's very little time to reflect, very little time. So in in tasting it, there was definitely some tears of joy and gratitude, but they were short lived and dried up quickly. Mama's got to keep
0: pressing on. <laughs> Mama's got to keep going. <laughs> Gigi's got to keep going. Got to go. Come on, now, people. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe a moment of reflection for the listener who is likely an entrepreneur that's early on in her own journey. What were some of the biggest lessons? that that you've already experienced now looking back on the the last two years that you think would resonate with her that you kind of like wish you could just get ahead of if you could do it again
1: you know as an entrepreneur as an inventor as a creator you have in your mind what's possible and a lot of people aren't going to understand that and that's okay it doesn't mean your idea is bad it doesn't mean it's not possible it doesn't mean that but When you're ahead of something that's new, people, and that's always where entrepreneurs live, it's really hard for people to grasp, you know, what it is you're talking about or trying to accomplish. And you just can't get lost in that sauce because it'll make you crazy and it'll talk you down from the direction that you should go in. Surround yourself with people that do believe in you. Someone that you know is going to be a cheerleader. And then also someone that's going to really give it to you straight. Like, girl, you got spinach on your teeth and you gained five pounds. You're not looking so hot right now. You know, like, whatever. <laughs> you know, but you got to have Rachel tell you, you know, my, my friend Rachel that we we're talking to earlier, she'll tell you she's one of those people. Another great reason she's on the team. But you have to have a truth teller and you have to have a cheerleader. You have to have those two things, and don't worry if other people aren't getting what you're saying. I mean, eventually when you're trying to pitch it, you've got to figure out that elevator speech, but you're ahead of, you're in a different headspace. They're not going to, and that's not disparaging on the people you're talking to. You're on a different planet than they are for whatever reason working on something that they've not entertained before.
0: I love the idea of truth teller and a cheerleader. I also think that there's probably some insight that you have that I would love to, to glean for the listener with respect to those that, that you need to onboard into this vision. Do you have any like advice for, for somebody? Maybe it's their spouse. Maybe it's, you know, the formulator. Maybe it's somebody else that's that's kind of a naysayer do you have any tips for how to onboard people into that vision you know it's it's
1: you know i'm talking to a lot of investors now i think we have over 32 different relationships that have been forged as a result of going through some fundraising right now and a lot of people you're going to know the ones that get it right away hang on to them And you're going to know the ones that are just giving you lip service or don't really get it or don't have a passion for it and move on. When you're and I'm thinking about team members, the ones that get it right away and start thinking about all the use cases for it. And what if we did this? And what if we did this? Oh, my gosh, pregnant women. Are you kidding me? I would have killed for this when I was with my second child. Ah, You know, like you want to make sure that the people that are coming along on the journey, that they have that get it factor And if you have to explain to them why it matters, probably not a good core team member, to be honest with you, because you've got enough naysayers on the outside. And the, you know, so definitely look for the people that are getting and grooving and vibing on what you're trying to do, because you need that energy from them and you need other people that you don't have to push uphill. Because everybody outside of your organization, you've got to push uphill.
0: Yeah. Maybe if you're open to it I'd love to hear you speak a little bit about just like hiring the right team members and like you know building building your bench with the the right folks is somebody that's you know truly uh, a leader in in many ways like how have you thought about hiring for the team at Starla or what tips do you have for entrepreneurs that are kind of making their first few hires within their businesses Yeah I've always I think one of my,
1: you know, you ask people, what's your superpower? I think one of my superpowers is the ability to attract and grow high performance teams. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm a Gigi, so closer to 60 than 30. And I've got a career of amazing people that I've worked with. So for Starlet, it's about getting the band back together. There's very few people that are working on this team that I don't have a prior working relationship with. If your brand, I mean, so even if you're just starting out, there's going to be people you met. No, you know, people you really got along with, people you admired that you work with. That's a great place to start. No one's going to have your passion for it that you do, especially if they're not putting money into it. You know, they can come close, but it's very different when it's your money. But, you know, look for people that you've just met along the way that you respect and you like the work that they did or the attitude that they had and hire for attitude and aptitude. It's not always experience. In fact, if you only hire for experience, it'll shoot you in the foot. So you've got to look for the kind of the the more intangibles, but look for that with people you've already oftentimes already met or worked with. Does that make
0: sense? Am I making sense? Yes, that makes so much sense. And I'm just like thinking I've got an open job rack right now. And I'm like, hmm, how do I apply this? within the <laughs> team. You mentioned that you're you're currently raising around and talking to a number of BCs to the extent that you're open to sharing on that would love to hear what your experience has been like just even starting the the conversations to you know anything that that is more in depth that you'd be willing to share.
1: Wow, it's I've learned a lot. That sounds trite, but it's true. I literally learn from every VC I've spoken to. I learn based on how they react, what they like, what they don't like, what they're really excited about, what they deprioritize, and that's important. That's really important when you're raised, you know to, to how you're building the presentations. It absolutely informs the conversation I have with staff will be the next conversation will in fact be slightly different because I've taken something from our conversation and I've applied it to the next one and that's so important not all investors are obviously the same but they have very similar sensibilities <laughs> and you know they're they're oriented towards investing in dollars and things like that so just learning from each one and taking and taking that forward in the next conversations really critical and you know the ones that just you know there's people that you talk to that just you know that they don't you know they're, they're if they're not getting it that's okay they're just not the right partner for you
0: how much of the time in these investor conversations is spent like focusing on things like What the market's doing versus like what the product is versus the current like business mechanics and like margins that you guys are getting in the state of the business as is. Maybe speak a little bit on that if you'd be willing.
1: Yeah. So, you know, because we're in this, you know, fast and furious non-alk, low out category, at this point, many of the investors are already up to speed on the velocity of the category. So it's not a lot of education on their part to say, you know, drive January had this many people. This is how many people are drinking. This is where the, you know, categories going. It's really more about, okay, that's interesting, but specifically why is your product and your team set to win in that environment so it's really letting them know that these are the plans around it and why you know in particular starla is so important i will say that one of the classic challenges we have is i believe that one of the last bastions of creativity or or of 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 how to compete is creativity right and starla is very creative it's a brand and when you're talking to people whose jobs are normally on a spreadsheet and you're talking about the power of a brand and how much women are going gaga for the product and the brand work that we're doing, a lot of that is lost in those conversations. And so that's just a that's just a fact. And so a lot of times people will be interested. It's just because they saw the work that we're doing with Star on the brand work, but Oftentimes with investors, that brand conversation is, it just goes completely out the window.
0: That's so interesting. And like directly related to conversations I've had, you know, in the business that I'm in, there's like the, the quant smart people that are in the spreadsheets. And then there's the branding smart people that are in like the community building. And like the idea that like a brand is a brand and that matters to consumers. How do you, you know, weigh the value of the two in, in your head?
1: I would I would advise any investor to really look for both because a brand is an insulator that will help you weather the storm and compete against others when new entrants are coming on and that you know will have a loyal and fanatical following of customers that is an intangible that you just can't I mean that that when you put that with everything that's in the spreadsheet and we do you know we still have all those things that's really the killer app that's really the killer app because in my opinion a lot of people could invent new things and create a spreadsheet that shows how you're going to make money on it but you have to build something people care about
0: yeah i completely agree don we've covered a lot of ground in this conversation like a lot a lot from you being a kiddo and like optimizing garage sales to (laughs) formulating and creating this epic beautiful brand just starla which is now raising around so you guys continue to expand there's probably a listener that's going to be taking this in whether she's like on a walk or sitting and and hanging out in her kitchen island it's like oh my gosh This could be me like this. This is my story or, you know, I have this big dream in my heart. What's your advice?
1: Well, first of all, it's never too late. You know, I'm a lot of times when you think of entrepreneurs, you're thinking about 20 somethings and 30 somethings. And I'm close. You know, again, I'm a 50 late 50 something. So it's never too late to think new thoughts and innovative things and something different. And just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't. And again, that gets back to then building out your your tribe of people that're going to help you get there get get a truth teller and get someone that's going to encourage you and see what those conversations look like. And you could probably take it to next if you've got if you've got a good idea, yeah, yours care about.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show, spending your time this way, mentoring all these women that are going to listen to this episode. For the listeners, where can they pick up Starla? How can they support you? Give your your plug. Oh, boy. Thank you. I appreciate that. So you can pick
1: up Starla at uh, StarlaWines.com. Follow us at at Wines on um, Insta and TikTok, Facebook. And then if you're in Texas, a lot of the retailers in Texas are carrying us. But look for us. We just uh, started some distribution in California and New York. And so we're selling to all 50 states. So hopefully coming to a wine glass near you
0: soon. Thank you so much for being here. If you loved this podcast, and I truly hope you did, make sure you're subscribed so you'll be the first to know every time we drop new episodes. And if you haven't already, head over to pmschoolpod.com and subscribe to our newsletter so we can keep you in the loop as we release new PM School resources, invites to events, and trips abroad. If you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a review because it really makes an impact on our ability to book epic guests and keep this mission in motion. Last, but certainly not least, if you feel so moved, take a picture of yourself wherever you're listening and tell us what your biggest takeaways are by tagging us on Instagram at PM School Podcast. All right. Until next time, go be epic. We see you. We support you. Cheers.